The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go Beyond Reality. Good evening, good morning, and welcome. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Jason's off tonight. And welcome to the program. And I, uh, Ryan uh, sheepishly walked through and said, are you going to make fun of me tonight? And I said, no, and I don't think I made fun of him last night. I just wanted everyone's opinion on the mutton chops. That's the only thing I was asking. And I'm not so sure that was uh, making fun of anybody. Um, you know, mutton chops haven't been in style for 150 years. So I'm just curious why he chose that fashion uh, approach. Um, but, you know, you guys can vote on that and you can decide on your own. We've got a really interesting show for you tonight. We're talking about UFOs, particularly deadly UFOs. You know, we often think of... Alien visitations as, hopefully anyway, friendly. And these UFOs in the sky that people report that could be or may not be some type of alien craft to be observing us in a friendly way. Um, Maybe we talk about abductions now and then, but usually we talk about somebody who was abducted and then returned. Um, Those experiences, by the way, aren't always pleasant, I'm sure of. In fact, we've had guests on that have spoken about their experiences as abductees, uh, but they are returned. But tonight we're going to talk about a different perspective on all this. Our guest, Rob Shelsky, uh, will be talking about deadly UFOs and the disappeared. He has put together a lot of evidence and information that supports the idea that uh, these UFO visitors, whatever, whoever they are, are here for a more sinister purpose. And there, he, he claims there's evidence all around us of that, including people being killed, and including people disappearing completely. So we'll talk about that tonight with Rob Shelsky. Again, he is a returning guest. He's a MUFON field investigator, and uh, that'll be uh, the focus of tonight's discussion. We'll take your phone calls later in the show to join that discussion at 844-687-7669. Just looking ahead, tomorrow night, uh, the shark, Bruce Markison, will be filling in for me, and he'll be talking to Dr. Paul Leslie, who's a psychotherapist and an author and an educator. And he'll be talking about hoodoo doctors and shamanism. And then, of course, Friday is a best of program. We look ahead to Monday and uh, Bruce the Shark Markison will be back with you again Monday night. And uh, Carlin Beckia will be his guest. Carlin is a artist and illustrator, and she will be talking about monsters, zombies, famous body parts. It's kind of a, a kind of a Ripley's believe it or not topic and other creepy things. That's Monday night's program with Bruce the Shark Markison as host, uh, as I will be at an event in Buffalo, New York over the course of the weekend. Looking forward to that. Um, and if speaking of events, if you haven't gone to the website scaracon.com, you should do that. It's a great event coming up in Framingham, Massachusetts. I think Massachusetts, the Boston area, is a short drive from anywhere. Okay, maybe not west of the Mississippi. Okay, maybe not a few states <laughs> uh, west of the East Coast. But either way, it's not too far away from a lot of people. And Framingham, Massachusetts is the site of Scaracon, New England, June 7th through the 9th. And uh, if you should need more information about the celebrities, the film screenings, the vendors, the parties, the, uh, what am I missing there, panel discussions, just go to Scaracon.com. Check all of that out because it's a great weekend. It'll be a great event. 
And I'm looking forward to seeing many of you there. And while you're checking things out, if you haven't found our YouTube channel yet, please stop by and visit that. It's youtube.com slash C slash JV Johnson. Subscribe to that, please, and uh, build our numbers up there and view the videos. We've got several hundred archived programs from Beyond Reality Radio, plus some other content as well. And the show streams live there with a great chat going on in the chat room. So uh, we invite you to do that. Stop by all our uh, associated social media sites as well, particularly on Facebook. Give us a like and join our growing ranks of people who are interested in these topics. We had a very interesting discussion last night with Dina Ray about conspiracies, particularly the New World Order conspiracy. And I think we're going to, because that conversation actually broke down into several sub-conversations. Each one of those, I think, are worthy of a program unto themselves. We talked about anti-vaxxers and vaccination um, ideas. We talked about the uh, controversy surrounding the current pope. We talked about population control. We talked about aliens running our government. I mean, each one of those topics deserves its own show. So we will be breaking that down. I've got Orion and Slick Eddie working on that as we speak to try to bring some experts in to talk about those particular topics uh, and we do appreciate your phone calls and your participation in all of those conversations last night. It was a really, really good, fun show. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, go to the YouTube channel, uh, search for JV Johnson on YouTube, and it's up there uh, for listening slash viewing. Anyway, that's going to do it for the intro stuff here. I'll take a break. I'll come back. We will bring our guest in again tonight, talking with returning guest Rob Shelsky about deadly UFOs and the disappeared, right here on Beyond Reality Radio. Hey, it's JV here. You know I've asked for your support in the past, and I'm going to do it again because it's really, really important. And there are a couple of ways you can support the show, and it's so inexpensive. Now, you can go to Patreon, and you can become a Patreon supporter, and we really, really encourage that. But there's also another way. If you look at the description of the podcast, if you're a podcast listener, and you scroll down to the bottom, there's a way to support the show directly through the podcast app. And it's only 99 cents a month. It's it's less than a buck. You probably have that change in your couch right now. That dollar a month, less than a dollar, goes a long way in helping us produce this program, provide great interviews for you during the course of the week. I thank you in advance because the support is so important to the program. Welcome back to Beyond Reality Radio. I'm JV. Thanks for being here tonight, by the way. Our guest tonight, Rob Shelsky, MUFON Field Investigator, Paranormal Researcher. Many, many books to his credit, including Deadly UFOs and the Disappeared, and Invader Moon. His website is robshelsky.blogspot.com. Rob, welcome back to Beyond Reality Radio. It's great to have you here. It's great to be back, sir. I'm enjoying it very much already. <laughs> good. Well, it's a good start then. Um, it's been a while since you've been. I think the last time you were here, we were chatting about uh, the Mandela effect, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, I do a lot of radio shows, but yes, I think we were. We're <laughs> discussing the effects of it and whys and wherefores of it, yeah. Um, I, I, that's true. I'm sure you do a lot of interviews, so I'm trying to remember one specific one is probably a bit difficult. But, um, you, you know, one no, of the... show rather stands out, actually. I do remember we were discussing it in some depth. It was uh, an interesting discussion I think we had. Tonight we're going to talk about... I hope. Yeah, it was. It was absolutely was. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about one of your books, Deadly UFOs and Disappeared, primarily. Um, before we get into that, you know, you watch the skies, you pay attention to what's going on. Um, as other people watch the skies, what's the latest in our search for answers as it, as it relates to uh, UFO activity? Well, 
UFO activity seems to be on the increase quite a bit, actually, worldwide and here in the United States. Also, we're seeing a lot more in the way of different styles of aircraft. I think most people know that flying saucers are the common ones, or originally were, but now we've moved on to triangles, although saucers are still around as well, or discs, and uh, there are cigar-shaped ones, and there are also um, extremely large ones now that we're, we're seeing and have been sighted, like in the English Channel, as well as over Paris, France, and uh, by commercial airline pilots. But we're also getting oblong-shaped ones, very bizarre ones and shapes, and even a pyramid-style one. And also there, of course, are spheres and globes. And we're not quite sure what all this means because all these crafts seem to be highly different, and yet they all seem to behave in sort of the same way. Now, when you mention oblong-shaped uh, craft, are we talking about um, like the tick, quote-unquote, the tic-tac uh, style uh, sighting that we have, had seen not long ago that was actually recorded by some military um, pilots? Yes, exactly. But also, I'm, I'm using it in a broader way because we're getting some very odd-shaped ones. They're like vertical structures, kind of squarish on the bottom, and they cut in on the right-hand side, for instance, then jut out at the top. Uh, there really is no other way to describe them other than a um, variant on an oblong. And uh, we're not quite sure what these are, but they do seem to be there. And also, we're noticing that they seem to have cloaking devices. People are noticing these things inside of clouds, whether um, outlined or there'll be a hole punched through a cloud. But also, in the case of the one over Paris, which was quite some time ago, a commercial pilot saw it actually fade from his view right in front of his eyes, and this thing was huge, hundreds of meters across. And so uh, not only do they seem to fly by night, but they fly by day, and they do seem to have cloaking abilities. Do different style craft... Um, give an indication that we might be being visited by different races of extraterrestrials, or is there no thought on that? Oh, uh, that's a good question, actually. Uh, yeah, it does seem to indicate that we might have different creatures, extraterrestrials coming to us, or interdimensional beings. We're not sure. Uh, there are um, ancient historical records that talk about, for instance, the Vedic texts, Vedic texts of India, that there might be um, as many as over 400 different races out there. But what we're seeing uh, now is kind of hard to categorize into just one species based on the evidence that we're accumulating. As these uh, sightings increase, um, are, are they geographically concentrated anywhere, or is it just completely random? Well, I would like to say it's completely random, but we do seem to get more sightings in the United States and, and also possibly Canada and a few other countries like the United Kingdom. But those statistics could be uh, skewed because these are the countries where a lot of people have phones and, you know, therefore cameras, right. and they're out more and they have transportation. They'll be out at night as opposed to other countries that don't have that means of communication. And some of them have cultural biases against reporting such things. So, yeah, it does seem to be kind of random, but some countries have more than others, but that just may be because of our technology. I think, you know, you mentioned cultural biases. I think that even uh, here in the United States, there was probably uh, a significant bias against reporting some things for the fear of being called crazy. Uh, has some of that faded away, do you think? No, unfortunately, I don't think it has, at least... Actually, when I talk to people, being a MUFON field investigator for quite a while, I um, 
I found that whenever you started talking to anybody, they all had stories about UFOs, and they didn't mind telling them to you, and they felt safe telling them to me, being an advocate for it. But uh, if you get on the professional level, if you get into anything like police, uh, commercial airline pilots, uh, military, uh, they're very reticent about doing it. And also, they don't even like to investigate it as far as researchers go in the mainstream. It's almost like it's the third rail. Because whether you believe in UFOs or not, whether you think they're real or not, the majority of Americans think they're real. Therefore, it is a powerful social phenomenon. And as such, you would think sociologists, psychiatrists, psychologists would investigate and research it. They don't, by and large. The vast majority do not. They, number one, they probably can't get grant money for it. Number two, they're afraid it'll ruin their careers. So it's kind of the third rail of uh, research. They, no one touches it. Uh, we've talked a lot about uh, government cover-up, and we're going to get into some more of that uh, as our con- as our conversation continues tonight. But uh, it, when presidents change, we always get some lip service to disclosure. Uh, I think we've heard it uh, in each of the presidents that has taken office in the last 20 or 30 years, but we never really get any new information. Do you think we're going to get anything anytime soon? struggling to get it because the government seems to be very reluctant to let anything go at any time in any way. And in fact, there seems to be a good deal uh, of um, evidence to the contrary that they will often go to any lengths necessary to uh, stop us from learning things, including killing people, it would seem, or some agency uh, is, is uh, accomplishing this fact. Judging by the number of clusters of researchers that have died, people who have um, been reassigned to different jobs, uh, all sorts of things. There's, the evidence seems to be growing that there is indeed a cover-up, and I call it the grand conspiracy theory because it seems to be originally America and then the Soviet Union at the time, Russia now, but it seems to be spreading to other countries as well. But yes, there does seem to be evidence that the uh, government doesn't want to let go of any information it doesn't have to. And on top of that, they seem to be actively going the other way. Do you believe that the president of the United States actually has access to that information? And therefore, uh, if they don't, uh, when they make those promises, they aren't really in a position to be able to fulfill them. on that question just yeah, you know, make it a little we, more specific for me well we talk about you know government conspiracy and withholding information from the public and then we have a president any president you know many have said it uh when i get into office i'll i'll release and disclose this information but if they don't have access to the information they don't have the truth themselves they can't release it do you think the president of the united states actually has access to this information or it's kind of controlled by a shadow government I think it is largely controlled by a shadow government. Um, Senator, uh, former Senator Inouye of um, Hawaii said as much, there is a shadow government. It has its own military. It has its own power, and it's not answerable to anybody. And even the, um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt said the same thing. There is a conspiracy of uh, as far as control of the government goes. But with specific presidents. We had Jimmy Carter, who said he would look into it. He had seen a UFO, and when he was governor of Georgia, um, Later, this didn't happen. All of a sudden, nothing came of it ever, although he said there would be. Uh, President Reagan referred to it on occasions, and we've had other presidents have said the same thing. Not many, but whenever they, like you say, whenever they get in power, then they don't want to discuss it, or apparently they don't have access to it. However, President Nixon supposedly had access to it and actually informed certain people, including 
none other than Jackie Gleason, a famous comedian of the time, and that he was shown the bodies of aliens, supposedly. Now, Jackie Gleason later was interviewed about this, and he said he did not want to talk about it, would not discuss it, but he did not deny that it happened either. Did he fear for his life? Is that why you, I mean, my, my speculation would be that he wouldn't talk about it because he feared I think he was, number one, sworn to secrecy. Number two, he knew there would be federal penalties if he did divulge it. And number three, I think he was afraid, yes. I think most people are. Uh, It doesn't take much leaning on someone to get them to stop talking, and it's pretty easy to do, like with the so-called men in black. You have someone show up at your door and threaten you, and you don't know who they are what they are. You get scared. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, especially when there's a couple of them and they're wearing sunglasses and dark suits and there's a black SUV out in front. There's there's nothing that's uh, especially... (laughs) Yeah, that's usually the case. I don't know why. (laughs) To me, that would be a dead giveaway, but they do seem to like their black, don't they? Yeah. Hence the name of the movies. Yeah, and most of us have family too and you know in many cases you not only fear for yourself but you fear more for your family so it would make you hesitant to do anything that would cross somebody that way our guest tonight rob shelsky is a mufon field investigator his website is robshelsky.blogspot.com he's got many many books to his credit including the one we're talking about tonight deadly ufos and the disappeared rob how many books do you have by the way you get a bunch of them Yes, I do, and I honestly can't tell you the exact number, <laughs> and that's the truth. I, I, I think I have around um, 12, maybe, books on the sub- paranormal subjects, and then I have quite a few fiction and other books as well. Uh, the closest I can get is it's about five pages on Amazon Kindle, if, uh, if you want to look them up. Uh, and, and many uh, a wide variety of topics, topics as well. At what point did you just did you take an interest in and start writing about these paranormal topics? Well, originally it was UFOs. Started when I was very young. It was reinforced by an incident my brother had of missing time. He and a friend of his, uh, which I didn't hear about until about twenty years after it occurred. And after that, I began to branch out because the UFO covers a lot of things. I mean, it, it covers spheres and globes of light, and these could be orbs. So you, I slowly crossed over into the paranormal as well, just to see what it was all about. And cryptids also was of interest to me, because that also could be related to UFOs, for instance, with the Mothman sightings. Uh, there was also, just shortly before that, UFO sightings in the same area. So I just sort of slowly grew into it all. And I remember you telling us the story about your brother's experience, too, and how that affected you. That was quite a, quite a story. Um, at what point did you decide to write Deadly UFOs and the Disappeared? Uh, that was last year, uh, or a little over uh, a year ago, and it was because the more research I did, the more I became concerned about the negative nature of UFOs, the more I stopped believing they could be our space brothers or benign, uh, and the more I became to consider them as dangerous and deadly. The evidence seems to keep mounting that Whatever's going on, there's nothing really very positive about it. They interfere with our uh, airplanes. They abduct people. Over a million people in America alone say they've been abducted. People disappear in this country at a phenomenal rate. Even David Polites in his books about the missing talks about this. And he also recently came out and said the those... Um, disappearances are increasing, and also they are in America. For instance, in America alone, we have 800,000 to 1 million people who vanish every year. Now, if you deduct all the people who have 
decided to just disappear, start a new life, <clears throat> excuse me, or um, ran away from home or were murdered or kidnapped, if you remove all that, you're still averaging about 50,000 people a year. Uh, so it, that is an incredible number. And in Alaska alone, for instance, out of a total population 2014 of around 740,000 people, no less than 60,700 reports of missing people in Alaska alone. And this is huge. It's about 12% of the population. And these people just vanish forever. And also it's occurring in Australia, approximately 30,000 a year. Now multiply this time every country on Earth, and this is an astonishing number of people who have just vanished from the face of the Earth forever. And it's not a new phenomenon. It goes back centuries. So not only are people disappearing permanently, besides those being abducted, and of course the ones being abducted is against their will, they're being mistreated by our standards of humanity, uh, they're not treated humanely, and they're subject to tortures. The fact that the ETs try to make them forget it doesn't mean that they didn't go through it. And on top of that, we've been getting some really horrible murders uh, in the last 15 to 12 years, including one particularly horrible one in Brazil that just scares the heck out of me, to be honest with you. You know, you bring up a really interesting point. Um, is it just a sense of wishful thinking that most people believe that when a UFO sighting is reported that this is just a casual observer, uh, maybe trying to get a peek at what we're doing down here on Earth, um, when in fact, when we talk about any interaction, and we've never seen a peaceful diplomatic mission from an alien race show up again on the proverbial White House lawn to uh, offer glad tidings and, and blessings, what the interactions we have had have been what you've just described, abductions, um, mutilations, um, uh, military cat and mouse games. Uh, you know, it, the the real evidence points to exactly what you're talking about here. Absolutely, and I always like to use the phrase or the um, idea that have we ever heard of a UFO that saved two children who were lost in the woods by guiding them out with a beam of light? Right. Uh, have we ever heard of them rescuing someone by taking them out of their house, like they take the abductees when the house is on fire when they're trapped? You never hear. Anything like that. There's a couple of cases where people say that after they were abducted, they were healed. Um, it's questionable because we have no documentation for that. Uh, and also they could be re spontaneous remissions. But even if the aliens did do it, if they're tracking these people and abducting them on a regular case, they may not want them to die. And that's why they took care of them. And the number is insignificant compared to what's been going on. But uh, people are disappearing, and they're disappearing permanently from this earth. And people apparently are being killed. We have military people that have been killed in encounters. And, and this, hasn't, uh, this is nothing new. It has gone on for decades and perhaps centuries. And this is what I find so frightening. And not only that, but people are disappearing not as individuals, but also in groups and even entire villages. And where are these people going to? Why aren't they coming back? What's happening to them? That's what we need to find out. So as you looked into this uh, and you started, you probably were putting uh, pins on a map or dots on a map or something, and you started to see where maybe these occurrences uh, were, were most common. Um, are they, are they, are they centered, centered any particular place? I know sightings, you said, you know, a lot in the United States and Canada, but that may be technology oriented, but are we seeing any particular pattern to any of this? 
not a pattern that we can discern. We see clusters of activity in at different times. David Pilates, for instance, mentions that um, our national parks seem to be under siege, and it's getting worse, as well as state parks and some regional parks. Uh, that seems to be a given, and I've checked his research, and it seems pretty accurate. I mean, after all, this man was a detective uh, for the police. Uh, but we they seem to be taking us at random, and it, uh, a lot of the times it's when we're alone. A lot of it seems to be for individuals that when they're alone, even if they're only alone briefly, I mean, people disappear from trails, being the last person in line. They turn around to talk to them. They're gone, vanished, just gone forever, they and their equipment. No one knows where they went. Um, the villages have disappeared, as in Canada in the 19, late 1920s, early 30s, as in China around 2010. Uh, and also groups disappear as well, and we can't simply account for it. And again, this seems to have gone on for a long time. It dates back at least to the 1900s, if not earlier. And we have mass deaths like the ship, the, um, and I'm going to murder the name of it, the Orang Madang, and, uh, which happened in the late 40s where everyone was dead. Uh, they were looking at the sky. They had the, the frozen rictus on their face of horror. Even the dog was dead, and some were dead and with their hands pointing up to the sky. And at first they thought this was just a story, didn't happen. But later they, uh, they did discover that the ship actually existed. It was on a registry in Germany. We have the case of that man in Brazil who was, went out fishing one day. They found his body the next night. He had been treated as if he were cattle. He had been mutilated in the same way, including with the cauterized surgical wounds in his body and having his internal organs sucked out through his armpits through these surgical incisions uh, in some process we're not sure of. There's also evidence that he died in great pain, that he was paralyzed, but there was no sign of any anesthesia having been used on him. In fact, he had a type of edema uh, when they examined the brain that is usually corresponds to people who die under great stress and pain. This is pretty horrible, yeah. not to mention that Without getting too graphic, that his rectum and genitals had been cored, he had had skin moved, removed from his face, he had his jaw broken. These are not benevolent space brothers that are doing this sort of thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, what? It's, it's pretty spooky. I mean, it, it, it's 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 scary, and I'm not sure what we can do about it. But there are some steps we could take. What um, do you think is the difference between those who never return? And those who uh, come back to talk about an abduction case, uh, why is there a difference there? Uh, good question, and I'm not sure anyone has the answer to that yet. I do speculate. One of the speculations is a lot of people who have been abducted uh, talk about strange things being inserted into the body, tiny things, pieces of plastic, my brother included. Uh, he had found one in his, although he does not claim abduction because he simply doesn't remember, but he had a piece of gray plastic in him. A lot of people have this, and a lot of people think these are tracking devices. So in some sense, maybe some people are returned because they are being tracked and being used for research, and they want to be abducted again by the aliens. They don't want to be, but the aliens want them to be. And the other the permanent abductions could be um, murder. 
It could be using us for whatever purposes. It could be using us as a slave race. Who knows where they're taking us? Who knows what they're doing with us? They seem to treat us in the most cavalier, inhumane way possible. I mean, they don't seem to mind killing us, maiming us, injuring us, damaging our property. They seem to have no moral values whatsoever. And if there are Space Brother races as well as these uh, more malevolent ones, I don't consider them space brothers if they don't interfere to protect us. You can say, oh, they're my space brothers, they're benevolent, they're the good ones, and then there are the bad ones. Well, why aren't the good ones doing anything to stop the bad ones? We're talking of thousands, tens of thousands, and in the case of abductions, over a million people. So where are they when we need them? Yeah, these are not... If that's a space brother, I I, I would rather... Yeah. Choose something else, I think. <laughs> yeah, with friends like that who needs enemies. What exactly does a field investigator do? Is it is it what it sounds like? Yep, exactly. We have to go out. We get reports from people. We go out. We interview them. Uh, whenever possible, we go out to the actual site and try to ascertain exactly what they might have seen and how they might have seen it and what it might also be in the way of something else in case. For instance, there was one lady who asked me to come out. I interviewed her. It was a uh, a good report. She was very clear, very concise. But then when I went to the location where she had seen the um, UFO, it was right next to a private landing strip for an airport and also very close to the Raleigh International Airport. And on a cloudy day, it was just too likely that it could have been uh, part of a plane slowly circling in the clouds and only appearing at times and then disappearing. I'm not saying she didn't see the UFO, but we just can't uh, conclude that, that it was a UFO, that it was more likely something of a mundane variety. So 95% or close to it, uh, UFOs can be explained away this way. There are a lot that may be real UFO sightings in this category, but we just can't come up with enough evidence to say, yes, I think that's what this was. But we do sometimes go to sites where they said they landed and we'll check the grounds, we'll even uh, take samples, we have them analyzed. Uh, all our photographs are, um, that are, we are given, we take and they are analyzed for professional photographers, that uh, not photographers, but analysts, and uh, conclusions are given to us by them. So it's really a meticulous thing that we're doing in the way of investigations. My only problem with it was, and I'm no longer an investigator, I decided to stop it as of last year, late last year, is because although we're collecting data and we're doing it in large amounts, and doing it very carefully, by the way, I didn't see that we were using the data to any purpose. We have this huge data bank, and how many sightings can you report on and say, yeah, that was a UFO sighting, without then taking all that data and somehow massaging it and trying to come up with some answers? When MUFON gets a report, uh, and, and what's the criteria by which you'll decide to send an investigator versus just uh, accept the report and put it on file? Oh, um, we don't ever just take a report and put it on file. Oh, okay. We always investigate. At least I always was told I had to investigate them, and I did. And some of them, there were pretty iffy ones, too. And I used to think, wow, this is really a waste of my time. But <laughs> you have to investigate them. You talk to the person, uh, the person first and you interview them, and then you do go to the site if it's possible to do so, and it usually is. You check weather conditions on the day that it happened. You check uh, airplanes uh, arriving and departing it, uh, if it's anything like that nearby. You check if there's a military base. It might be a military craft. It's quite, uh, it's not a real quick thing. We just say, oh, yeah, we'll take your report and we'll file it. We don't do that. We actually go to great lengths to discover what's going on.
And you talked about landing sites. How common is that, that people actually have reports of uh, craft touching down? Uh, it's not as common. Uh, it, it, definitely not as common. It does happen, and there are reports of it. Uh, the closest I got to it was um, one sighting where it, they said that they saw the thing come down and in some shrubs. I went to the site, could find no evidence. And they were basing their assumption on some photographs that they had taken. And I submitted them for analysis, and there was a reasonable chance, about 45%, that it was a, uh, a glitch in the camera or some type of solar flare, so I had to discount it. We are talking with Rob Shelsky, uh, author of the book Deadly UFOs and the Disappeared, among many, many other books. He uh, was was a MUFON field investigator, and his website is robshelsky.blogspot.com. Uh, Rob, before we go to the top of the hour break here, where would you like people to go to find out more about your work? Is the website the best place? Uh, yeah, or Amazon Kindle, actually, or Amazon in general uh, for books is would be fine. I mean, um, all my books are there. I also am going to be appearing at the uh, Alien Expo in Knoxville on August 17th, so that should be a great – it's the first one. And oh, wow. Looks like it's going to have an exciting group of people there. That's August 17th this year in Knoxville, Tennessee? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah and there's going to even be a civilian astronaut, news people, all sorts of stuff. So, like I said, it should be pretty exciting. Our conversation tonight with Rob Shelsky about his book, Deadly UFOs and the Disappeared, will continue in just a moment. Just to looking ahead here, we've got a great show tomorrow night. Bruce the Shark Markison will be filling in for me tomorrow night, and he'll be talking with Dr. Paul Leslie. Dr. Leslie is a psychotherapist, an author, and an educator, and he'll be talking about hoodoo doctors and shamanism. Friday night is always a best-of program on Beyond Reality Radio. And then Monday, Bruce the Shark Markison will be back in the chair here, filling in for me. And he'll be talking with Carlin Beckia, an artist-illustrator. And she'll be talking about monsters, zombies, famous body parts, interesting, and other creepy things. Uh, that'll be Monday night's conversation. Looking ahead, just to let you know, we've got uh, Vincent Jenna, who is uh, hasn't been on the program in quite some time, but he's uh, a very well-known psychic medium and an author and a spiritual teacher. He'll be with us Wednesday night of next week, and he'll be talking about communicating with aliens and sharing their message. That'll be an interesting conversation next week with Vincent Jenna, right here on Beyond Reality Radio. As I mentioned, our phone lines are open at 844-687-7669. If you want to join our conversation, we're talking with Rob Shelsky. Um, his website is robshelsky.blogspot.com. He's got many, many books to his credit. We're talking about deadly UFOs and the disappeared. And Rob, you know, when you start talking about alien visitations and we see these things in our skies and uh, we talk about abductions, uh, then you add a lethal component to all this. Uh, it, it takes a story that has the potential to be scary to begin with and makes it very, very scary, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I mean, originally, I think most of us thought that they were just observing us, watching us, and even with regard to the abductions, well, at least they were bringing us back and they were just right. researching us. But the more information you gather, the more deaths that you realize, including in the military, civilian, whatever, and there are a lot of them, uh, or you begin to realize this is not a pleasant uh, outcome for us if it continues. In fact, it would tend to make me very frightened if I lived out in the country alone to go out at night to any distance, because if you saw one of them, you'd be pretty helpless. And I know that sounds a little extreme, but that's the way I feel. It is that bad. 
And I mean, you've been uh, studying this for a very, very long time. Have you ever felt that you've been uh, targeted, whether successfully or not, as a possible abductee or even somebody who had a target on their back? Um, I have had some weird experiences with regard to interviews on different shows where they uh, recorded the show and the uh, recording went off their main computer at their studio and off their laptop as well, and we had to redo the whole thing. Hmm. I did have an experience as a child in Australia when I was very young uh, that could have qualified, but since I have no corroborating evidence for it, I don't like to... um, use that. But uh, uh, other than that, no. Uh, my brother apparently has. I have not. Right. I'll be honest with you. Why they picked my brother, not me, I don't know. <laughs> but they did. Yeah. Uh, right place at the right time, maybe. All right, let's grab a listener phone call here. This is B calling from Greenville. Hey, B, welcome to the program. Great to have you on. Hey, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, uh, I was wondering, uh, percentage-wise, uh, as far as the missing go, when you... Uh, how does it break down when it comes to, uh, you know, country or race, uh, um, you know, uh, as far as the total number of missing, uh, what percentages, uh, I mean, worldwide, uh, how, how does it break down when it comes to, I mean, uh, various uh, countries or, 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 so, or, so or different races? So, be what you're asking here is then, is there any, um, or what are the percentages of uh, nationality or race when it comes to these abductions, or or the or the deaths That's or both? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Rob, do you have do we have any of that information? Do we know? Uh, yes, we do. Um, but it's again, it could be very skewed. Uh, statistics are difficult. In America, it seems to be largely um, uh, white people that seem to be abducted. Uh, all but with some of the other races as well, black, Asians, you know, and uh, Hispanic. But, uh, of course, in countries where it's composed of another race entirely, the people taken from there are the same way. We The problem is, in a lot of countries that involve other races, you have a hard time getting the data. For instance, in Africa, there's almost no data at all that we can seem to get, so we don't know how many people that are being abducted or disappearing, actually. Uh, we do know that, like in Australia, there's about 30,000 a year in a country of about 23, 24 million people, which is very high. And I mentioned Alaska earlier, which is 12%. And in America, we have about 300 million people, and out of that, approximately 800 to a uh, thousand to one million disappear each year, and of that, we figure fifty thousand are permanent disappeared and aren't accounted for by the usual ways that people would choose to disappear or be kidnapped or whatever murdered. Uh, so it's it's difficult to get that kind of information. We do know that in the industrialized Western countries, that these disappearances are high. Uh, again, in Alaska, twelve percent, which is extremely high, and um, for that time period, and so. It's difficult, again, to get an overall effect, other than that we know it's in the thousands, that a lot of white people seem to be involved, but also members of other races as well. But again, our data is skewed because we're getting it primarily from Western industrialized countries and not from countries where the predominant race is another race other than white or Caucasian. B, thank you so much for that question. It was a good question. Um, Demographics of... um, breakdowns, while difficult to get, might give us some kind of indication of what these aliens are looking for now that brings me to the the question of of um what their motivation is uh you know with abductions you kind of understand they're they're exploring they're experimenting they are possibly learning uh why would they want to kill us 
Good question. Uh, I mean, seriously, it's a good question. We don't know why. That's that's the the first answer. The second answer is they could be using us for something. But as with the case in Brazil, where they treated the men as if you were a cattle mutilation, that doesn't bode well for us. I mean, if they're taking organs and skins, grafts and uh, or not grafts, but uh, samples and uh, but uh, some of it we don't understand. Why? Why would they do this? Why would they break somebody's jaw? Actually, they say the man might have broke his own jaw with screaming. Uh, the, the coroner can't be sure, but uh, which is really truly horrible. And uh, it's it's difficult to know their motivations because we don't know who or what they are. We really don't know if they're extraterrestrial or they're interdimensional. We don't know where they're from. As John Keel said, the fact that they're here is real. You know, let's accept it. Now we have to understand why, and that's kind of why I've moved on from MUFON because I want I want more answers. I don't want more data. I mean, it's always good to have data, but I want to try to extrapolate and come up with something. And I think we're being used, and I don't think we're being used in a good way. And whether we're being used as a slave population somewhere else, or whether we're Parts of our body are being used for genetic purposes. I don't think we're being eaten, uh, although, you know, some people claim that too. But uh, it it just seems odd that they keep doing what they're doing to us and apparently have been doing it for centuries. And if that is the case, then what can we do about it? it regardless of their motivation, we have to come up with some answers and we have to come up with some means of protecting ourselves. You know, it seems as though uh, there has to be a greater reason here, because if it was simply for killing, uh, you'd think that they would launch an all-out attack in some fashion. They could do, based on their technology, from what we know, they could do a lot of damage in a very, very short time. But it seems more selective than that, and it seems more subdued, if that's the right word, maybe more um, secretive than that. They don't want to be necessarily discovered in what they're doing, despite the fact that people like you, Rob, are actually uh, on to them. Um, so I suppose it's not an invasion kind of thing. It's not a it's not a, a takeover attempt uh, or it would be much more overt, wouldn't it? Uh, one would think so, but there's different types of takeovers. You can have interior coups. For instance, if people are being abducted and tracking devices are being placed in them, perhaps for some future purpose, those tracking devices or whatever they really are could be triggered in what we might have as a growing and large sleeper cell uh, willing to do their bidding at a certain time and date when they're sort of switched on. The people that are permanently abducted could be used for any number of purposes, genetic or otherwise. You you made the allusion to the idea that they wouldn't just want to kill us all off because they could. Well, do we want to kill off our cattle or do we just want to use them? Yeah. When you put it that way, it's even more ominous, isn't it? Yes, it is. And when we're treated like cattle, as far as mutilations go, that makes it extremely yeah. ominous in my book. <laughs> it does. So at, at what level of this is the government involved? Do you think, the, particularly the U.S. federal government, uh, has knowledge of what's going on in the, at this particular level? Oh, yes. I think they absolutely have to know. I mean, uh, different uh, astronauts have said, yes, they exist. It's just a matter of why they're here or where they're from. They're obviously more advanced than we are. Edgar Mitchell said it. Uh, Gordon Cooper said something to the similar. So our own astronauts are saying this. They've seen sightings of it themselves. We know darn well the government has access to this information, and they have far more technical capabilities than we know. And I think they know what's going on. We do also have evidence that they might be colluding with them. 
there's evidence that um, extraterrestrials landed at Edwards Air Force Base, uh, Air Force Base, sorry, back in the um, late uh, 50s, early 60s, and that we came to some sort of agreement with them, where they're supposed to try to sort of keep a clandestine approach to what they're doing with us so that basically we can go on functioning as a civilization. And it may be to the aliens' advantage that we behave that way, too. Uh, far better to cull the herd on a regular basis, so to speak, uh, without causing it to stampede and, uh, and, and then getting hard to find or, you know, taking protective measures. So... Yeah, I think the government is well aware of it. it. They could be colluding with it. They certainly seem to be covering it up. The evidence for that is extremely strong. The book talks about it in, in, in detail. And uh, the government itself knows that our military planes and boats, for instance, in the Vietnam War were attacked, uh, that uh, troops were attacked. We know that for a fact. It's a matter of record, as with these two, I want to call them PT boats, but they were small um, river boats that we had during the Vietnam War going up a river. One was attacked by blue spheres. It was badly damaged. Another one came to its rescue. The uh, captain of that boat, I think it was actually a lieutenant, but he was in charge of the boat, rescued a few of the people from the other ship before it went down. They were badly burned. Then his own ship was attacked and he fled. He made a detailed report to the government and almost immediately he was reassigned to a desk job in England and his squad that he had originally been with, he found out later they had died. I mean, it, this just goes on and on and on. So does the government know? Absolutely. Are they colluding in whatever this is? Yes. Why are they colluding? Well, there's several explanations for that. Let's grab another listener call here before we have to go to break. This is TJ in Rhode Island. Hey, TJ, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much, and hello to your guest. And I had one question regarding motivation, and it stems from a conversation with Linda Moulton Howe on another show at a different time. And she came to the conclusion that during a large spate of cat mutilations, because of the gratuitous uh, aspect of what was being done and the deliberate viciousness that she seemed, she just thought they were being deliberately and gratuitously vicious because of some reason that they just wanted to hurt people in a general way because we like our animals. But more importantly, one instance she mentioned at the same time was the disappearance of homeless people, and I believe it was in Boston. Forgive me, I'm a little sketchy on that detail, but being washed up on shore. But when autopsies were performed, the water found within their lungs was from a depth that would far exceed anything that a normal human being would have in their lungs had they drowned just under regular circumstances. And I'm wondering whether or not has there been any indication of other areas where there's a very large disconnect or disconcerting uh, manner of death that occurs more frequently than others? Great. And that would indicate something strange. Uh, good question, and I'm yeah. not sure I have a good answer for you on that one. The deaths are so varied, it's, uh, and no one's bothered to um, attempt to compile, you know, what types of deaths are involved. Uh, a lot of people refuse to even consider the deaths as is, is a big deal. Oh, it's just an accident. They got too near the UFO. It appeared, and the car went off the road, or whatever. So it's awfully hard to get that kind of data in particular. But yes, we do have some strange deaths that we simply can't account for. And, and the way they died, this, again, the mutilation in Brazil is one. The, um, 
uh, we have a couple uh, jets, uh, not jets, but a B-52 bomber that disappeared in Vietnam. It uh, was talking, said it saw some strange objects in the sky. It was radio this in, then it, it ceased, and they later found the plane where it went down. They went to it, and it didn't look like it had crashed. It looked like it had been dropped, quote-unquote, dropped there. They found the crew on board still in their um, flight gear with their masks on, breathing masks on, and their skin was shredded and their bones were all broken. Now, that might have been from the crash, but the shredded skin is, is odd. Now, mm-hmm. the odd thing about this was the man who reported on this later talked to um, Heineck, Mr. Heineck, uh, of, you know, famous UFO, yep. ufologist, and he said that there had been a plane that happened in Russia, uh, the Soviet Union, in Siberia, that went down exactly the same way, but on that particular one, the crew was missing. So, again, it just seems to be all sorts of variations. Are they being vicious? Well, they may not have a concept of uh, being vicious. But, oh, right. um, they They come across that way to us, don't they? They come across as extremely malevolent. Well, I mean, well, amoral at, at best is what I would say, but she seemed to indicate from her own conclusion, and I don't know what it was based upon other than maybe a gut feeling, but it seemed to be to cause pain and suffering in the population in general, knowing the situation with most people and their animals, cats in particular here. But it was the water one that got me uh, noticeably uh, intrigued the most because of the depth that they claim the water came from within the lungs of these homeless people. Rob, we have uh, less than a minute here, but um, I just wanted to comment and give you a chance to comment on TJ's uh, report of the homeless individuals that were uh, found with uh, water in their lungs that was deeper than they should have been. Any, any, any comment on that? Did you hear that report? Uh, yes, I had heard it only in passing because there are so many such reports. But um, obviously we've had UFO sightings in the oceans, up in Canada and the Bay there as well, Thunder Bay, and in other places around the world, including around some of our aircraft carriers as well. So there's no doubt these things go down into the water as well. And if they want to take one of us with them, I can't see why they wouldn't have a problem doing that. You know, it should should be pretty easy for them. So maybe right. they just dispensed with the body and let it float back to the surface afterwards. And the person may have been alive, apparently, if they've been breathing in that That's kind right. of water. Tonight we're talking with Rob Shelsky, however. He is a MUFON field investigator. RobShelsky.blogspot.com is his website. You can find out information about many of his books there, including Deadly UFOs and the Disappeared, which is what we've been talking about tonight. Rob, we've made several mentions here tonight about government and conspiracy, specifically as it relates to the U.S. government. Are other governments around the world complicit in this as well? Uh, Yes, to a greater or lesser degree, and some have changed their behavior patterns uh, in the process. For instance, Brazil used to be very open about its UFO sightings and uh, all that sort of thing, and then all of a sudden they closed down, and now they won't report anything on it either anymore. The military won't. Uh, England used to be that way. England was um, very curious in the beginning, especially in the 1950s, and uh, Winston Churchill even uh, was trying to get information from the U.S., and uh, they were more open than we are. France was the most open of them all and still is, comparatively speaking. Other countries, of course, like the former Soviet Union, now Russia, are very close mouth about what's going on. And other countries, not so much. Uh, Spain is very open about it, for instance. It seems the less powerful countries are more willing to be open than the more powerful countries. If, if governments are um, 
covering this up. And you said there might even be some collusion involved. Is this a a, a trade for technology? Look the other way as you take 50,000 of our people this year, but give us some technology. Is that what's happening? I think to a certain degree it might be just that, because a lot of people are claiming that, and they do have some evidence to support the idea. Not conclusive evidence in my uh, consideration, but definitely provocative. I do think uh, our government is is colluding to a certain degree. It almost has to be. Uh, Collusion can be in many ways. It can just be the fact that you don't want anyone to know that it's happening, so you hide the fact. That's a form of collusion. Uh, There is evidence that they have actually colluded literally and, and gotten exchanges of information for this. A lot of people think so. We really can't account for why all of a sudden our technologies just went through the roof, skyrocketed in the uh, mid to late 50s. And and from there on, it just became an incredible to the point where we're now talking about a technological singularity. It took all of mankind up to 1957 to accumulate the knowledge he had. And then in 18 years, we doubled it. And then in 15 years, we doubled that. Now it's months and we're doubling the sum total of human knowledge. How do we account for that? Is it just a normal technological evolution, or are we being helped? It could well be that we're being helped, because why is it uh, principally the United States that's getting this technology? And so far, I mean, our technology is so far beyond Russia's already. It's incredible. And uh, China's trying to catch up, but they're doing it by stealing a great deal of our technology any which way they can. And, of course, the Soviet Union and Russia later uh, both were doing the same thing. But why were we leading this? I mean, you would have thought it would have been around the world more, and it is to a certain degree, but let's be honest, the technological things such as the um, transistor, the microchip, all, all came from the United States, and very quickly. So, uh, yeah, we must be in collusion with them to some degree. The scary part is, are they letting their citizens being taken, being killed, maybe being flushed out of a, a a ship at the bottom of the ocean so they have to breathe water and then float to the surface. I mean, that's a, again, that's a horrible death. Uh, if they are in collusion and they are allowing this, maybe because they can't stop it, or maybe because if they look the other way, they get technology, or maybe because they're actively involved on an even deeper level than we suspect. We talked about this happening for a lot of years. Um and we've also talked about whole villages disappearing. Is there any possibility that it goes back as far as, say, uh, Roanoke Colony, uh, when you know one of the original settlements here in North America disappeared without a trace? Do we think it can go back that far? Oh, yeah, absolutely, or even further. But, yes, uh, there was the uh, Roanoke Colony uh, of Virginia Dare. They, they disappeared, and now with DNA tests, we've – some people said, well, they, they migrated somewhere else, and, you know, some uh, Native Americans were blue-eyed and must have been descendants. We've since done DNA testing, and we've proven that's just not so. Uh, there have been hoaxes where they said they found milestones and that they had moved somewhere else inland. That turned out to be a hoax. They just vanished. We don't know where they went. We don't know where their bodies are. They're just gone. And they're not the only ones. There was the um, Anjakuni, a Native American tribe in northern Canada on a lake there, Lake Anjakuni. And they vanished with uh, the whole tribe did, food still in the pots, cooking. Dogs died from starvation because they were still chained up or roped up. And uh, the people left without their boats. They left without their – and those dogs were sled dogs. They just weren't pets. They needed those dogs. 
and they disappeared. And in around 2010 or so, in China, an entire population of a village vanished. It was on the, uh, the news in uh, China, on their radio, on their state radio, and then they quickly backtracked and said, no, it wasn't so. UFOs and lights in the sky had been seen for hours by hundreds of people. They're having a festival in a nearby village, and they saw these things for hours before the event took place. Um, Chinese military moved in. They saw them on the roads heading into that area to where the village was. And in, the odd part is, is some of those um, military vehicles had missiles on them. Mm. Now, why would the Chinese, if they were going to help a village that was in trouble or something, or uh, take missiles with them, that, which is very strange. Then later on, the government rescinded it and said, no, it didn't happen, but it had been on the radio. And, and uh, again, there were hundreds of witnesses. We know it happened. But then the, the Chinese government covered it up. So cover-up seems to be pretty common. Is it is it cover-up for the sake of collusion, or is it cover-up for the sake of avoiding panic, or both? Well, you know, the majority of Americans now believe that UFOs exist. So the idea of the 1950s, we're all going to run screaming out of the house, and yeah. then we hear that UFOs are real, and, you know, running panic across the mall in Washington, D.C., just doesn't ring true anymore. Uh, would there be a reaction? Absolutely. Would there be fringe elements that would be waving signs on top of the building like in the movie Independence Day? Yes, probably. <laughs> but, there, uh, but mostly I think most people have accepted the idea UFOs are real. But I think the government is deliberately hiding the fact, and it has reasons for doing so. And the reasons are usually in, with government self-protection or they have some vested interest. So you can bet it's either one or the other or both. You also talk about crop circles in this particular book. How do crop circles play into this? Well, they, of course, are related to the UFO phenomenon. People have seen UFO sightings. Now, not all crop circles are real. There's obviously a lot of hoaxes, but the sheer numbers of them, the sheer intricacy of some of them. Uh, one was estimated to have taken 50 or 75 people uh, more hours in the night than there could have been to complete. It was so complex. And... Uh, we have evidence of crop circles dating way back before there were uh, these so-called hoaxes. They do, one dates back 2,000 years. Another one called The Mowing Devil occurred in England in 1678. And that one, they even made a block print of it because it so impressed the people. They thought the devil had stamped the hay down. And uh, again, it happened in uh, 1678, but it also happened in 1686. And it continues to happen all the time now. Now, usually with hoaxes, it gets over with. Uh, people get tired of doing it. Unfortunately, with crop circles, they just get worse and worse and worse. And this is damaging the income of farmers. So they have taken active measures to try to stop it, but somehow can never stop it. This is the odd thing. Yeah, it seems like um, it wouldn't take too much effort to either catch the folks in the act or uh, prevent them from doing that uh, if it was people hoaxing. I mean, obviously there are there are hoaxes. We know that to be fact. But, uh, you know, in many cases, it seems like th that could be stopped. And if it's still occurring with those efforts, uh, then it's got to be something clearly different. Too many crop circles happening to all be hoaxes. Right. Uh, some of them, again, are incredibly intricate and simply would take too long and too many people to accomplish. Also, some of them show the hoaxes are fairly easy, um, easy to spot, whereas some of them show damage in odd ways to the grain itself at the joints, that sort of thing, swollen joints in the uh, wheat grain, that sort of thing. Uh, also, um, 
and authorities are at a loss as to account for a lot of these circles and patterns. They some places even have cameras, and they and they and they don't catch it. Yeah. Uh, England, for instance, is notorious for being the most camera-oriented country in the world, and they have closed-circuit television everywhere, CCTV, and they have yet to catch anyone committing these hoaxes. So either the hoaxes are legion in numbers and very very good at sneaking around and doing this in a hurry, or some of them have to be real. I want to take us back to the discussion about uh, um, TJ's question with uh, bodies washing up with the water in their lungs, and you talked about uh, you know we've we've seen these things going in and out of the oceans, and I and I believe uh, the phrase or or acronym USO is being used more frequently now as unidentified submersible objects as opposed to flying objects. Do we think there are bases or something under our the surface of our oceans uh, that these craft are using? Many people think so. Because of the number of sightings of USOs and, and or UFOs because they come out of the water and then they fly, right. uh, for instance, in the um, channel off of uh, Southern California there, it's quite deep. And they, there seems to be, in some of the sonar they've done, some strange structures down there. We also have strange structures in other areas of the uh, world as well. These things also seem to go into lakes. Uh, Russia had a real problem with Soviet divers being killed. They uh, were doing um, trials in, a, I think it was Lake Bacal. I'm not sure about that, so don't quote me on it. But it's a large lake wherever they were, and they uh, had divers down there, and they saw these strange beings in, like, silver suits swimming ahead. Well, being Soviets, they tried to catch them, and they went after them. And then suddenly there was a great upwelling of water, and these divers were pushed up to the surface instantly which immediately caused a problem with the, the bends, the uh, you oh, know, yeah. problem of having nitrogen bubbles building up in the blood. Right. And so they uh, rushed over a um, decompression tank for them. The problem was it wasn't big enough for, I think it was three divers or four. I'm, I'm a little uh, vague on that right now. But they put them in there anyway, and it was too many people. And uh, I think one or two of them died. I know for a fact at least one died, and possibly two, and another one was permanently crippled because they, uh, the way they had to do it, and it was such a confined space. So, yes, they are in our lakes. They are in our oceans. Uh, we have sightings of major uh, aircraft carriers, seeing them go in the water, and it dates back really far. Even Columbus reported this in his log. Strange lights dancing on the horizon is something plunging into the water to a great depth and then coming back up again. I mean, this goes on and on. And at the risk of opening up a conversation that we could spend a whole show, another show talking about, what about the moon? Are uh, these craft or aliens at all uh, making use of the moon as a base of some kind? I personally think so, and a lot of others do as well. The evidence seems to be that there have been structures, ancient ones in the past, on the far side of the moon uh, that look like they were mining um, facilities as well as uh, collapsed dome-like structures. And also there's evidence uh, that there was some kind of fortress on the moon near the South Pole. And I don't know if you remember, but there was a satellite that we crashed into the moon supposedly to see if any water vapor would come up from that area. But oddly enough, it crashed right into the very site with a photograph of that squarish-looking fortress was. So they certainly seem to have been on the moon in the past, given the evidence. Is it absolutely conclusive? No, it's not. But it certainly is indicative that something strange has been happening up there. And there are people who insist that it is happening in an ongoing thing right now. And if you base it on the um, 
idea that the transient lunar phenomena is still going on and is still very much around to this day, strange sightings, beacons, flashes, all that sort of thing, one would think there's still something going on up there. Rob, we're almost out of time here, but I wanted to give you a second to, uh, again, tell us what you've got coming up. I know you mentioned the event in August. Um, Other books in the works? Anything, any other appearances you want to talk about? Well, uh, that's the main one, and uh, I'm doing it as a kind of a favor to them as well, because uh, it's the first expo, so they're trying to get a good turnout, and they certainly seem to have a good guest list, and that is the Alien Expo in Knoxville on August 17th, of which I also will be doing a presentation. But I also have a book that is being edited right now, and it's been delayed a little bit because of an editorial problem there, not with my book, but with the lack of editors, and that is on uh, Quantum Immortality. And I'm actually um, starting to research a sequel to Deadly UFOs and the Disappeared because this is just becoming too important to me. Uh, All my life, as I've been researching this stuff for over 20 years, it hasn't. I never thought it was this bad. And now I'm coming to the conclusion it is, and people have to know. So you started to pull away the layers of the onion here, and the deeper you get, the worse it looks. It is, yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, Rob, it's always a great discussion when you join us. Thank you so much for coming back. And as you work on some of these other projects, we'll certainly uh, have you come back on and talk about them. Well, I really enjoyed being on the show, and really it was an honor to be on it. That's going to do it for me tonight. Have a great night, everybody. It's Beyond Reality Radio. We'll catch you again soon. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJParanormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.